elementary and uh, middle school. You guys are all dismissed. So these are all the people that couldn't afford spring break, huh? Is that, is that what I'm stuck with here this morning? <laughs> we just haven't left yet, right? Well, hey, as most of you know, um, obeying Scripture isn't just as easy as reading a command and then doing it. Wouldn't that be nice, though? If we could simply read, do not lie or in your anger, do not sin, and then just do it. I mean, that would be amazing, but we all know that that's not how it works. Romans chapter 7, Paul famously wrote this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. Paul's spitting some knowledge there, huh? You see, there's a lot of interference between the things that we might read on a page or hear in a sermon on Sunday morning, from that to actually thinking and speaking and acting differently. So what gets in the way? <clears throat> well, last week, Justin kind of got the ball rolling on this topic. We're kind of doing two weeks here on kind of some reasons why we disobey. And he looked at three big obstacles that tend to be a hindrance to obedience, and they all centered around this big issue of trust. So we talked about three things. He talked about our desire to control. He talked about lingering anger and bitterness. And he talked about um, fear and allowing fear to have its way in our hearts. And as we were talking as a staff at our staff meeting on Tuesday, somebody kind of brought up, which is really true, is that really all of these things kind of bleed into one another. And I don't know if you connected those dots. Um, but we, we're afraid of something, so then out of our fear, we then try to control something, right? A person or a situation or circumstances, and then people don't do what we're trying to get them to do. They won't let themselves be controlled by us, which would really be best for them, so then we get angry and bitter about it, right? And it's like this cycle and circle just goes round and round and round, fear, control, anger, and control, anger, and fear, they're really all surface-level symptoms of a much deeper disease. They are what we do because we've all been wounded in life. And these deep-seated, unhealed wounds are what's fueling our surface-level disobedient behaviors. Okay? So it's almost like if you picture a weed, the stuff that you can see above the ground is control, anger, and fear. But what's fueling the weed are these unhealed wounds underneath the surface, the root of it. Okay? Who can tell me what happens to physical wounds that are left untreated over time? We have some medical professionals in here that can give us some gross, gory details on if you've got an open, nasty wound and you don't do anything about it, what happens? Walk us through the process. Anyone. I know some of you that are nurses. Yes, read. Thank you. Yeah. 
okay? So it gets deeper, it gets infected, you start losing function in that area of the body, possibly. It starts to smell, ooze, right? I'm just, I don't even, I didn't go to medical school. I just, I've watched enough TV, right? <laughs> it gets nasty. Nasty, right? It's the same with our hearts, guys. If I went around the room here this morning, past the mic, I bet every one of us here could rattle off a, a list of ways that we received some wounds growing up, primarily from people who we love the most. And not that those wounds were always intentional, because we all grew up with imperfect parents who had wounds themselves. Now, just as a show of hands, how many of you have parents who suffered wounds in their life? Okay, it should be every hand in here. Okay, so go put your hands down. This may be the harder question. Raise your hand um, if you have parents who have actually dealt with those wounds and found healing through counseling, therapy, community, or faith. Look around the room. Like five. Okay? That's important. That's a sad reality. Because here's what we know. It's hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. We were hurt by hurting people. And now we hurt people because we're hurting too. When it comes to scripture, it's very hard to read. You know, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, forgive your brother and sister 70 times, seven times. When we've been hurt deeply in life, we want to be able to do those things, right? Like you've been in those situations, you're like, man, I really want to be able to forgive this person or to love this person or to show this person some grace. But we have these triggers that are deeply embedded in us, these self-defense mechanisms and protective mechanisms that cause us to usually kind of do one of three things, either to kind of distract ourselves and escape kind of when the pain comes or to clam up and withdraw or to lash out and attack. And usually we kind of all have our coping mechanisms that might fall into one of those categories. Pastor and author Pete Scazzaro, he wrote a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. He explained it like this. He said, unhealed wounds open us up to habitual sin against God and others. That doesn't sound very good, does it? In the Old Testament book of Genesis, we see a, a story of family brokenness that plays out uh, over several chapters. And there's probably several different families I could have picked, but I just picked one. So we have the story of Jacob, <clears throat> who was a twin. He was the younger twin, so he came out second. Um, and he was technically, so then he was the younger son of Isaac. His older twin brother, Esau, was his father's favorite. And that created a wound in Jacob that led him and his mother to kind of lie and cheat and conspire to get this blessing and this affirmation from his father that he wasn't receiving. And that dysfunction and unhealed wound from his father passed down the line to the next generation. You see, Jacob grew up. 
And Jacob had two wives, and they were sisters. Okay, so this is like double red flag alert here, okay? Shouldn't have had two wives. Certainly shouldn't have married sisters. Bad, bad things, okay? So two wives, but one of them was his favorite, Rachel. And between his two wives and servants, they had 12 sons, but one that he loved most, Joseph, which created all kinds of wounds and anger and resentment from the, the wives, the brothers, the whole family was kind of a mess. So much so that the brothers took Joseph, remember he had the fancy coat, right? And they, and they wanted to kill him. And they were going to leave him at the bottom of this well and just let him just die down there. But one of his brothers spoke up and was like, no, we can't do that. And so what they came up with a compromise, let's just sell him. And so they're, they're on this trade travel route to Egypt. So they sell him to some people passing by heading to Egypt. And they go back and tell uh, their dad that, that he's dead. And so as you read the story, story goes on, he, um, Joseph ends up being bought by an Egyptian official, and through a series of events over a number of years, he ends up rising to second in command over the whole country. More specifically, he's put in charge of the distribution, the collection and distribution of food during like a severe famine in that whole part of the world. He's an extremely powerful and important person. And while Joseph's life on the outside seems to be really successful, we become aware that he hasn't really dealt with those wounds that he suffered from his family as a young man. And so that hurt simmered under the surface of his life for years until there was this triggering event that brought it all up. It's kind of this dramatic and unexpected event in his life. Because you see, at, at one point in the story, Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt because they're starving and looking for food. And they end up standing before him, not recognizing him so many years later. And he's all dressed up and in his fancy outfit. And they're, you know, barely getting there because they're starving. And there's this encounter that they have. And they're begging their brother that they don't know <laughs> is him more than 10 years afterwards. And it, it sets up this emotional encounter we're going to take a look at. I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. It's page 62. Genesis 42, we're going to start in verse 7. <clears throat> said, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers... He recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and that is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother 
the rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. So Joseph initially really doesn't handle this situation very well. He probably wasn't aware of the pain that had been roaming around in his heart all those years. It was kind of out of sight, out of mind for a while. But then the sight of these brothers who had sold him away kind of triggers these emotions in him. He didn't even know it was there. And he gets pretty vindictive. He's accusing them. He throws them in jail. He's trying to trick them to kind of get what he wants. It seems like he kind of wants to make them pay a little bit here in the beginning, right? It takes a few chapters, but Joseph finally gets around to that place of forgiveness. But he's got some old demons to face first, and and that forgiveness is a process. I love this quote that I came across this week by Max Licato. It says, your family failed you. Your early years were hard ones. The people who should have cared for you didn't. But like Joseph, you made the best of it. You've made a life for yourself, even started your own family. You were happy to leave Canaan in the rearview mirror, but God isn't. He gives us more than we request by going deeper than we ask. He wants not only your whole heart, he wants your heart whole. Why? Hurt people hurt people. Think about it. Why do you fly off the handle? Why do you avoid conflict? Why do you seek to please everyone? Might your tendencies have something to do with an unhealed heart, unhealed hurt in your heart? Just leave that up there for a second if you can. Thoughts on that? stand out those first two sentences for me were pretty interesting (laughs) we talk we talk a lot about you know saying that uh, when we give our life to Christ that he wants our whole heart Right? But Jesus doesn't stop with that. He's like, that's, that's not all I want. <laughs> I want your heart to actually be whole. I want you to be healed. Because only then can you experience the fullness of what it is that I'm trying to offer you. Anything else? Yeah, Blair. Yeah, she said physically, when we're physically sick or something, like we usually go to the doctor, we do something, we want to make it feel better, but sometimes we can be having emotional symptoms that aren't healthy and we can just kind of leave it untreated for a long time, right? Maybe it's because we think we can handle it, (laughs) but we, we can't handle a broken leg without medical assistance, but we feel like we can handle a broken 
heart on our own. Yeah. What's the assumption maybe that we make about what dealing with that will be yeah. like? It, it just, it opens up almost too much of what you have to deal with because then you have to worry about that and you have to deal with it even though you haven't actually mm -hmm. ever dealt with it. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's hard to see that because then once you are starting to heal, you get to look back and go, wow, I'm thankful for that, but that is not a comfortable place to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a comfortable place to have to look back. Like, right, we entered this relationship with Christ. Maybe some of us didn't grow up in a Christian home, and it's like, oh, man, things are going to be better now, and I'm, I'm looking forward, and we don't want to have to look back and deal with some stuff, but it's, well, just keep listening. We'll get to it. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Eventually, our symptoms find us. <laughs> eventually, but I think the same way I want to just think with this and that and this. So, jogging and stuff. But eventually, my symptoms will find me, and I'm not going to be able to run if I mm -hmm. think I should. And that my arm right now is bad because it is actual hurt. Yeah. It's not something to necessarily shame myself with. It's just going to call that back because I don't have a great leg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, the symptoms are going to catch up with you all right you can fake it for a while maybe but so here's the thing god's plan for the nation of israel hinged on joseph being able to show some compassion for his brothers like it had to get to that place in the story in order for the nation of israel the story of the nation of israel to progress and move forward there was a lot at stake here there's a lot at stake in our own lives, too. In order to create some new normals that we talk about around here, healthy ways of operating, we have to address our brokenness or else the cycles of dysfunction are just going to continue to build, kind of like a, a snowball that's gathering mass as it rolls down the hill. And it's going to continue on and spill over to the next generation if we're not intentional and proactive about it. So I've shared with you guys a lot um, over the years that m my relationship with my dad has really been messy my whole life, but definitely as a kid, it was kind of messy. My parents were divorced when I was like three, um, but my family life growing up was kind of chaotic. I had a couple more different stepdads. Uh, there was a lot of moving around from house to house and school to school, just a lot of dysfunction and really just kind of a lot of hurting adults all around me. I was an only child. Um, so I was kind of in the center of it all. And so to survive that, <clears throat> my coping skill uh, that I kind of took on was to basically just kind of um, ignore my emotions and just kind of stuff them down somewhere. And then I just kind of channeled my pain into um, competitive things and sports 
and trying to get some affirmation and stuff from performing uh, in life. And so that strategy certainly helped me kind of survive my childhood at some level, but it also meant that I took on some really unhealthy patterns. So I was really unable to express my feelings and I was really unable to enter into the emotions of anybody else. I had no capacity for that. Uh, I could come off as cold and aloof and distant a lot of times. Um, people over the years uh, would always say that I kind of had this poker face, like I was really hard to read. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that caused trouble. <laughs> so as a result, my adult life has been this journey towards understanding this and trying to heal those broken places because I, I don't want that pattern to continue, not only in my own life, but I certainly don't want to be passing it on to my kids. So my unhealed wounds kept me from being able to love people deeply, okay? So that, that means that when it came to commands, when I, once I became a Christian and started reading the Bible and there were commands in there about, about having compassion for people and showing kindness and gentleness to others, like, I really struggled with how to do that because I was always that kind of grew up with this kind of just suck it up and deal with it kind of personality, just move on. So I didn't really have a lot of compassion for people that weren't suck it up and move on type people. <laughs> I didn't really know how to speak to them, relate to them, or care for them at all. They just mostly frustrated me. <laughs> so I had a very limited bandwidth for how to deal with other people's emotions and the truth was, I was used to using people most of my life to get the acceptance that I thought that I desperately needed to have. So people mostly were just objects for me into my early adulthood. I was concerned more with what people could do for me instead of the other way around. So when it was time to get married and have children, that became a problem, okay? I had no clue how to love people well. I had no clue how to really connect with people on an emotional level. Now, by the grace of God, now I'm 52 people, all right? So I've had a lot of time to deal with this stuff. And I know some of you, the rest of the sermon are gonna be thinking, there's no way that man is 52. <laughs> and you're just gonna be so distracted, but it's a true story. I can tell you that I've made a lot of progress in getting some healing, but a lot of that's really happened in just the last five, six years. Like, so first 47 years of my life was kind of messy in some ways, but how did I get to where I am now? I can tell you it's been a lot of work, but it's been really worth it as well. I've gone through, a lot of you guys have gone through the storyline curriculum. Basically, it's kind of a study that makes you kind of map out your significant events that have happened. They call it your positive and negative turns. And you take each one of those and you kind of rate it, uh, how negative, how positive, in terms of how it impacted your story. So I've gone through that with a group of people. I've shared my story openly with, with others in a really honest and vulnerable way. Um, I, I've done a lot of things. Um, I've gone to counseling. Um, I'm going again this summer, so that's kind of an ongoing thing. But, but doing those things has allowed me to kind of connect some dots, right, from, from how some of my unhealed 
wounds have impacted the way that I live now, the way that I learned to cope and survive. But those coping skills that I had as, as a kid honestly became destructive things for me as an adult. So I, I kind of I to, to take the, my childhood tools into adulthood relationships, and they didn't work anymore. I needed a new tool set. So in addition to counseling and looking at my story, I've learned a lot about my natural, how my natural personality plays into all of that because we're all created and wired uniquely and differently, and, and that, that changes the perspective of how you, you can have one, one kid in a family that has the same life circumstances and trauma that handles it completely different than another kid in the same family with a different personality. So that plays a lot into it. So I've studied that a lot. I've invited the Holy Spirit to reveal some things to me because sometimes some things just need to happen on a supernatural level. I've just prayed and said, God, help me see the things that I need to address, the ways that I need to heal. And could you come in and, and begin to do some things in my heart and mind that I can't put together on my own? But maybe most importantly is that I've done all of that in community with, with a set of friends that are on the journey with me. I've talked a lot about this men's group that I've been a part of about six or seven years. And, and we just, you know, we listen to each other's stories definitely in the, in the first year or so of getting together. And, and we had this environment of grace and truth where we could speak into one another's lives and encourage one another and pray for one another along the way. And we've all been helping one another get better. And our goal is to try to help one another get unstuck in places where we're unhealthy in the way that we're operating. And sometimes those conversations can be really painful, um, especially when you're on the hot seat that week, right? And for whatever reason, as you're sharing what's going on in your life, then and your friends are kind of drilling down into some unhealthy things. You're just like, oh, gosh, what time is it? I need to get out of here, right? But it's been a gift to all of us. But it's especially been to the gift, a gift to the people that I have influence over. So dealing with my stuff has been a gift to my wife, my kids, because they're getting to have a, a healthier husband and father. It's been a gift to you guys, whether you realize it or not, as I'm getting healthier. Um, it's been a gift to the kids that I coach and people I have influence there. I came across this really simple but profound statement this week in my studies says this, obedience will flow from a healed heart. And as I read that, I thought, well, the opposite's also true. Disobedience will flow from a wounded heart. It just kind of naturally flows. Well, thankfully, guys, we serve a God <laughs> who's in the business of redeeming broken stories. It's what he does and who he is. Last semester, we took a look at a study, and we talked about one of the names that was given to God was Jehovah Rapha, right? Who remembers what that name means? The Lord who heals you, okay? God is the Lord who heals us. That's what he does. On top of that, we have a Savior that knows our pain, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
gosh, man, isn't that awesome? Jesus gets it. He's familiar with the kind of wounds that we've endured. I've got a list of just some different ways, some different wounds that he had to deal with. That Jesus was rejected by those that he grew up with. In Luke 4, it says all the people in the synagogue, this is in his hometown, were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Right? That's when Jesus basically revealed to the people in his hometown, hey, I'm the Messiah everybody's been waiting for. <laughs> the guy down the street, all right, didn't go over well. He, he gets it, all right? Secondly, he was rejected by those who didn't understand who he was. So then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This was after he sent the spirit into the evil spirit into the pigs, and they ran off the cliff, right? This town that they were in, they didn't, they didn't know what to do with him. They asked him to leave. Go ahead. He was rejected by the religious leaders who wanted to kill him. It says, now the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. So these were Jewish religious leaders, just like Jesus, who didn't understand his message and the way that he came and delivered it. Go ahead, last one. He was momentarily abandoned by God, the Father, separated from him by taking on our sins. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, leme sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, he understands rejection. He gets our pain. And, and we should draw a lot of comfort from that. He, he understands we also have to keep in mind that he didn't allow his pain to derail him from his mission. Jesus didn't allow his pain to derail him from his mission, and he doesn't want that for us either. He's got things that he's called us to do, right? Ephesians 2 says we are all God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And he doesn't want us to miss those things. But he needs us to be healthy. It's a partnership of healing he's asking us to join him in. But he doesn't force anything on us. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 5. It's page 1516. John 5, starting in verse 1. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I mean, that seems like a really easy question. You've got somebody that's been laying on the ground in an invalid state for 38 years. Do you want to get well? Hmm. 
But the truth is that healing is a process that requires a lot of work. It requires us to lean into God. It requires us to lean into community. It requires us to be vulnerable, which is a topic we've explored a lot here the last few weeks. And it ultimately requires us to repent of how our unhealthy patterns of operating have hurt those around us and to forgive those who wounded us out of their unhealed places. This quote I came across really summed, summed it up well. <clears throat> if the cause of your wound was your own doing, the beginning of your healing is to repent. If you harbor remorse, guilt, bitterness, doubt, anger, unforgiveness, and such self-imposed emotions, you need to recognize that you've allowed the soul wound to become an altar in your mind. You've actually created a place where the enemy can and will control you. You need to smash this altar with the truth of God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to heal you. If the soul wound was caused by someone else, you need to forgive them. You need to understand that when the person sinned against you, they were not controlled by God or his unfailing love. They were acting out of their own accord, potentially under the influence of the devil, even if they were a born-again Christian. I just want to conclude today with some encouragement. God understands that some of our disobedient patterns are born out of our pain. Like he gets that. He's patient with our wounds and the healing process that it takes for us to get to a healthier place. He understands that many of us are stuck and in need of breakthrough. And he wants to partner with us in this healing process so that we can obey more freely so that others can be blessed by us, which will result in praise and glory for him. And I, I, I can tell you this, guys. He, he wants us to grow in compassion in two ways. Compassion for ourselves and compassion for others. Because as, I, as I've gone through the story process with my friends, it, it, it's helped me to have more compassion for myself to realize that there were some things that happened in my life that in, in the tools that I had as a eight, nine, 10 year old kid, I did the best I could. Um, but then those ingrained some really unhealthy ways of thinking and operating in me. And, and so I needed to have some compassion for myself, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I was doing the best with the tools that I had at the time, right? But it's also given me a lot of compassion for other people. Because a lot of my life I grew up with this kind of mentality where people just kind of frustrated and annoyed me a lot of times. You know? They didn't see the world the way I did. They didn't operate the way I wanted them to. They didn't jump when I said, you know, when I snapped. And, and taking the time to really get to hear other people's stories and to be curious and to dive in and understand that everybody's wounded, it's increased my level of compassion for other people. I understand that that's probably not who they want to be or how they want to be operating either. They just don't know a better way right now. And it's better to meet them and love them where they are, right? 
It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not his frustration and annoyance with us because we can't get it right. It's kindness. He's with you. And he invites you. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your souls. Peter, when he wrote his first letter, chapter 5, verse 7 says, cast, he said, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. I want to give us some reminders from scripture of God's heart for us in the midst of our struggles. I want you just to take a minute and just read these verses. Just kind of let them soak over you for a second. some things we learned about God's heart here, right? He doesn't hide his face from us in our ugliness, our grossness at times. He's close to us. He records every tear in our life. When anxiety was great within me, his consolation brought me joy. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He will never leave us or forsake us. Guys, he's not surprised by our brokenness. He knows every wound that you've received in life. But he also doesn't want you to stay there. And I'll be honest with you guys, churches around our country are filled with wounded people not dealing with their stuff. And part of it is because they're not being taught and preached in a way, preached to in a way that's leading to that healing. Why do we disobey? Oftentimes it's because we're hurting and we can't understand why we act in ways that we know are wrong and contrary to God's word. But until we get some healing, those wounds will continue to rear their ugly head. I want you to hear this. <laughs> no amount of spiritual disciplines. No amount of reading the Bible over and over again or praying or going to church, doing all the Christian things, apart from a reckoning with our broken past, will yield the transformation and healing that we're looking for. You have to go there. So do you want to get well? Some of us have been wounded for a long time. And I'm standing up here and I have the perspective of everyone. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of tears this morning. 
And so I know that this is a place that God has you in right now that you need to hear and accept his invitation into. If the answer to the question, do you want to get well, is yes, but you don't know how, please come and talk to me. Come and talk to Justin, our drummer, after the service. We'd love to get you connected and started on a path towards healing. Guys, until we start healing, I, I can, we can keep teaching you things from the Bible, but you're going to continue to be stuck trying to live it out. I'm just being honest. Until our hearts are healed, it's really hard for us to love other people well and forgive. It's not a matter of you knowing that truth up here. It's a matter of your heart being in a place where you can extend it because you're not as triggered as you used to be. Because <laughs> you've gotten some healing in those tender places in your heart. Obedience will flow from a healed heart. <laughs> as we come to the communion table this morning, I was just thinking as I was writing down just communion this morning at the end of my notes, I was like, I need to remember that we're doing that today. One of the verses we looked at, we look at a lot is in, in Isaiah that talks about by his wounds we are healed. And a lot of times I tend to think of the physical wounds. I read that mostly thinking about the cross and the, and the beating that Jesus took. But this morning I was thinking, you know what, it's also by his emotional wounds <laughs> that we are healed. The, the fact that he was rejected and abandoned, like he gets us. And because he gets us, we have a, a, a savior who knows our hurt. He can save us. We can approach his throne of grace with, and compassion and receive mercy from him. So maybe the question that you, we all need to be wrestling with as we have some quiet time here is just, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do we want to begin the process of figuring out how to allow Jesus to come in and, and transform us from the inside out. It's the only way forward in your faith. If you're going to have the kind of impact that when God created you, that he thought, man, this, this person, I really want to use this person to do this. But because of our wounds, some of us have settled for a lesser version of our life story. And God's like, the world needs you to live out this story that I wrote for you. And we want to help you get there. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time today. These are very painful and difficult things to wrestle with. And my heart just breaks for just people all over the world that just don't, don't know this truth. Don't understand how their broken stories are an impediment to their ability to obey and to live out the life you've called us to. God, you want our hearts whole. And so I pray, God, that you would enter into our stories on this day, in this moment, wherever we're at on this journey, and either help to start a journey, continue a journey, or finish, push towards the finish line, a journey of healing for all of us. It's the only way that we're going to be able to live out the things you called us to do. God, I pray that you would meet us in this time. Give us the courage to say yes to moving forward with you.